We're going to walk with you, Lord. That has been our hope and our prayer as we climb up the mountain of God's faithfulness and goodness to us. We're resolved to do it, and we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Good morning, everyone. It is great to have you today joining us from wherever you are. We're so glad you're continuing with us in our second Peter series. We're calling Resolved, a word that means to decide firmly on a course of action. In this running with the devil world, I'm going to walk with you. I love that lyric, and I loved hearing us all sing, great is thy faithfulness. We're going to walk with you, Lord. We've firmly decided on that course of action. And that's ever more important when we're being called to traverse a road less traveled. Not all of us are on the same road at times. Some of us are going through a season of great difficulty. Some of us are going through a season of discouragement. Some are going through a season of tragedy. Some are going through a great season of joy and thanksgiving. But when we're called to these roads, they're all more difficult. They have obstacles along the path. Isn't it good to know that we have something we can resolve to hang on to, and that's his promises, his precious promises. Now, in week one, we talked about our power cord and getting charged up. How many of you have seen this icon on something, whether it's your cell phone or your laptop, and it's reminding you during the series, am I plugging into the promises? That's where my power comes from. Last week, we had a little bit of a cooking show. I wanted to honor Peter. He said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life coming up with ways to remind you of the qualities that lead to spiritual growth beyond the moment of salvation that lead us in the sanctification process of growth. And that we summed up as V-K-S-S-G-B-L. And you're all like, everybody knows that. Very kingly super salads get big lettuce. I mean, everybody knows that. Can you remember what they were? V, virtue. See, one person remembered. That's good. First service was a little more locked in. K, knowledge. Good, good, good. I got two S's, so you could go either way here. S, self-control. It's one of the areas you're called to grow in. Self-control. I'm sorry, it's just who I am. No, grow in self-control. Here, what's the second S? steadfastness. If God has called you to a season of perseverance, he is growing steadfast in you. Take joy in that. G, godliness. Yeah, behave as God would. B, brotherly affection. How we are to treat one another, especially the body of Christ. I mean, if you're going to lean anyway in the area of love, especially the body of Christ. And then L, Love. So you memorized it, right? Or at least you have something that will jog your memory. He said, for this reason, make every effort to supplement, add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. These are the things we're to be growing in. So how do I charge up? Well, by clamping on to God's Word. Today, in our idea of keeping with technology as our illustration, I'm going to throw up filters. Filters. Now, now, some 
have applied filters to their own computers. Young kids, you might have mom and dad have put some filters on you. One of mom and dad's responsibilities as you're growing is to serve as a filter for you at what comes through at what specific times in your growth. But we understand the importance of filters. But I wanted to talk about air filters today. Now, my motorhead's leaned in, but, but how about my homeowners? How important is it to change your filters? I saw a few people like nudge their husbands, like, I don't know, ask us. We're all hacking up a lung right now, right? You know, it was the beginning of December, and I'm a relatively new homeowner still, and I can recall a few things my friends who are a little bit more in the business know that they've given me wisdom, but one I was reminded of when my wife came to me and said, hey, the house is not heating up. I'm turning up the thermostat and it's not heating up. Now, I love my bride. She'll turn it all, the, she'll just keep hitting it. It's gonna work at one number, right? 90, let's go, you know? But, but I'm like, oh man, what do I do? What do I do? So I wanna look like I know what I'm doing because I want my wife to respect me because she calls my friends before me usually and goes, Chris is tempted to fix it. Could you please come over? And I'll have guys show up. I'll be like, I didn't call you like uh, your, your wife did. And, and, and one of the things that I remembered them say was, check the filter before you call anybody and spend money. And so I went over and I grabbed the filter. Now we, we have filters. I don't know what your filters look like, but ours, ours aren't that big a deal. I mean, they're the old, they're the old standard you know, 16 by 25, you know, 3M, right? And um, I checked it, and it was so bad. It, it kind of gave the appearance of carpet. I mean, it was like black. Mike was telling me, who is our buildings and grounds facilitator, he said, he said, when we were doing construction, Chris, they looked like sweaters. The filters looked like sweaters. Because what, they were catching all the contaminants. And, and now I changed in the beginning of December. And just that time, though, I pulled it out this morning. And, and you can see it's catching a lot. And so some of you are sitting there going, all right, when I get home today, I think this is the Lord telling me to check my filters. Okay, well, well, you know what? Check your fire alarms while you're doing it. This is a public service announcement to check your filters. Oh, the laundry room, right? Oh my goodness, have you ever seen the lint that can come out of that? But, but these speak, don't they? Because we understand filters are catching contaminants from getting through. And so I changed the filter and it was amazing. Walked upstairs. Shortly thereafter, I hear Rebecca say, hey, hey, the heater's working again. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> the old, this was my capability, right? I was like, thank you, Lord. I didn't want to spend any money, right? But it was amazing how much warmer and wonderful the house was. And we all stopped coughing. And coughing right now, you feel like you should run from people when you ever cough right now. So, so like in a time period like this, it got me thinking about filters, because we have, uh, you know, we have spiritual filters too. We have filters when it comes to things like religion. We have filters when it comes to our choices and what we fill our minds with, what we read. We have filters. My wife's nanny, okay? That's what she called her nanny. It was her grandmother, right? Grandmothers have lots of different names. Grandmas, I'm sorry, 
for all your different names because the first grandchild names you and you could be anything. There is somebody in our family, literally, her name is Guggy. Why? Because that's what the firstborn said, Guggy, Guggy. And so to this day, Guggy's coming over. What? We just stay with it, right? And so some of you grandmas, you got some interesting names, but they're so endeared and you have like owned them like a banner. Well, her nanny, she had a filter for how she lived life and she didn't put it on the outside of her car because it was a bumper sticker. She placed it on her dash, okay? So when you got in her car, you saw her filter for life and it was a bumper sticker and it said this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. There was no change in Nanny's mind. And to this day, she's still that way. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. She has a very strong faith. You know, scripture says it doesn't always take a strong faith. Sometimes it just takes a little faith in God to see great things happen. Sometimes Jesus even says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, isn't that good for those times where you feel like your faith is a little shaken? Sometimes just a little faith. She had a big faith. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And so if God said it, that's her filter. She believes it. It's allowed through. If God didn't say it, she's questioning it and she doesn't necessarily believe it. And so that doesn't settle it. But if it passes her filter, it's allowed in. You know, it's the filters actually, folks, that determine how we receive information. Now I'm gonna throw up an image here, and it's all part of our daily life. And for some of you, you're gonna quiver at this because you don't like to see these images in a church setting, but, but let's understand something. The church, we're, we're out there, we're in the world, not of the world, but, but we have to have filters on how we receive information. So I'm gonna bring up some logos that are gonna speak to all of us as we look at them. Here they are, here they are. We're gonna talk about them in filters. Oh, oh, you didn't put Fox and CNN next to each other? Yeah, I did, why not, why not? If you gotta laugh at yourselves a little bit, right? How about that Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, iTunes? This said it is so many people's filter, isn't it? Well, this said it, I believe it, that settles it. What's also true is you don't care what one of those logos said. If it says it, you don't believe it. It doesn't matter if it's saying your name. Your name is Chris Heller. Lies! <laughs> because you have what? You have a filter up. That's not truth. And I am not accepting it. However, it's amazing on that blue one, if you find something that you agree with, boom, truth. If you find something you don't agree with, lies, gotta be lies, gotta be something to that. Why? Because you've built a filter. This said it, I believe it, that settles it. Or this said it, I don't believe it, and that settles it. And, and here, I want, I want to illuminate to us to something, really so that we can apply grace to people. That's my goal, because Peter tells me to grow in grace. Much of the disagreements and the struggles and the anxieties and pressures and fights within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ are not so much anything more than our 
filter. For example, if this is how you filter the word of God, there is very little I can say to change it. Let me demonstrate. One more slide. The Bible said it. I don't believe it. And that settles it. Young person, you might have a friend like this. College student, you might have a buddy, a girlfriend like this. The Bible says it, but they don't believe it. And that's their filter. And what can happen is the devil will trick you, child of God, into making you not like the person. When it's really you're upset about their filter. You don't understand. You can believe it. I don't believe it. And it hits the filter. And the Bible's not allowed into that heart because they've said they don't believe it. Now, why would anybody put up that filter? Why wouldn't you just receive the good news of Jesus Christ? And so often, isn't this the case? You will find the people that are most antagonistic towards Scripture have been hurt in their past. They have tragedy in their past. They have a wound. And that wound has caused them to put in a filter that doesn't let the truth in. And so it doesn't matter what you say, they don't believe it. They can come into church, they can look at me, and they're sitting there looking at me like this. Eh, preacher, what's up with his boots? What's up with that blue shirt he's wearing? And they're not even listening to a word I say. Why? Why? Because they've already turned me off. Why? Because this is a stage of a church. Why? It's a filter. And oftentimes, Grace, they feel it's protecting them from getting hurt again. Maybe someone in the church has hurt them. Maybe someone has lied to them and they've taken that pain and they've put up a block so the truth can't be carried along the vent into their heart. And it discourages children of God so much. And they go, why don't you see it the way I do? Why can't you just let that truth in? They've got that filter up. But I got good news. Stick around for the end of the message. Because I'm told the scripture says it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it can get through any filter. Are there any children of God who once had the filter up and God poked a hole in it? And then that hole got wider to before you know it, the truth of God's word just kept carried along that air vent into your heart. You know, today, one of my goals is to get us resolved to allow the truth to come through and penetrate us. May we breathe it in, that gospel truth and may we live it out. But on top of that, may we live life in such a grace-filled way that we understand there are certain people that seem so opposed to us, but in reality, it's their filter. And if we can help just occasionally poke a hole, maybe, just maybe, we could be the instrument that God uses to carry them along to the faith. I pray today that this message would bring you resolve to not only consider your filter, but ready? Process whether it needs to be changed.
Because even child of God, if we let those filters get dirty, it can prevent the truth from flowing into our hearts. And so let us consider our filter as we enter into scripture today because Peter wants to remind his church, you can't allow lies to pummel your heart and survive the road less traveled. You've got to make sure your filter is checked and working properly. Heavenly Father, use this text today in 2 Peter to remind us of the most important filter we must have. May we glean this passionate plea from Peter to consider who he is, what he is saying. And Lord, I pray that we would use it in our lives to guard our hearts. Oh, how that imagery speaks when it comes to guarding our hearts for for many of us need to rethink our filters in the areas of our movie selections. Many of us need to rethink our filters in the areas of what we're talking about in conversation. Many of us need to rethink our filters in the websites we're clicking on. Many of us need to rethink our filters in the area of how we're loving our spouses. They might need changed. They might get a little dirty. And there might be not as much truth getting through as there should. But Lord, also, may we consider what needs to flow through and allow that to be carried into our hearts. We pray these things, excited to hear the challenge from Peter today. In your name, amen. You know, at times in history, there have been some cleverly devised things that have actually tricked people. And now, I don't expect everybody in the room to remember this, but there are certain people that could hearken back to have heard, hearing about what occurred on Halloween 1938. You see, there was a, a radio broadcast that went out of their ways to say that this is not true, but a dramatization. But people tuning in were hearing it. And they believed it. And they were panicked by it. Does anybody recall what I'm talking about? The war of the world. It was a radio broadcast where they were acting as if society, especially New Jersey, which we all would believe. No, I love you, New Jersey. Ocean City, great. No, no. That they're being attacked by aliens. And if you can see the image, okay? If you can see the image, it's kind of a cute alien ship, right? It's even got some eyes on it. It's great. Now this stuff you watch today, you're like terrified and turning off all lights and locking all doors, right? But, but the radio listeners were kind of thrown into a little bit of a panic, at least the more gullible ones. There's always some that are just a little more gullible. Um, it's more of those, God bless your heart people, right? Um, that, that tend to kind of like, I want to I be careful because there might be somebody still in a trailer in the Poconos because of Y2K. So like, I don't want to be too, but sometimes we can get caught up just a little too much, right? You ever think that maybe you've gotten carried along by something that wasn't true? Over the last year and a half, have you believed some things that turned out it weren't true and you were like really sold on it? See, sometimes we can be fooled. We can be kind of carried along by some of these things. In fact, they say that even the news 
kind of embellished this a little bit, and it wasn't even as bad as they were saying, although it was bad, but it was embellished. I mean, the news would never embellish something and carry an agenda. That's why you see a reporter saying, don't go out, it's terrible out here, look at this place. And then like two people walk by, hey. They found the only puddle in town, massive flooding. We know this. And if we don't have a filter, we could get carried along just like anybody else. And what was happening to the people in Peter's time period is they were being carried along by a tale. And that tale is the apostles are coming up with cleverly devised myths that this Jesus died and rose again. Oh, nice job, guys. And Peter wants to address it. And he comes right in and says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not buying some story. This isn't war of the worlds. This isn't some cleverly devised myth. But we were eyewitnesses. I mean, wouldn't you like an eyewitness account? It speaks to his validity. It speaks to the ability to know what he's talking about. He goes, we didn't come up with some story. And I got to think that he's so specific in how he describes it, cleverly devised myths. I almost got to think that's what they were accusing him of. Like he's actually referencing the false accusation of some of the teachers of that day. No, no, no. We were eyewitnesses. I was there. He said, for when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I go, time out. What? What are you talking about, Peter? I hear the phrase glory, honor, the voice of the majestic glory. I don't even use that word that much. What's going on here? It seems like Peter is being very specific. And he said, we heard, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It seems as if he's referring to an account. Church, do you understand what account he might be talking about? He continues, he says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. The idea is birth coming from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Wait a minute, what? Time out, Peter, you were on the Mount of Transfiguration? Can you imagine his early readers reading that? You were, what is this event? You say, well, they might've known about it. Did you know Jesus told Peter not to tell anybody about that until after he resurrected. So this might be for the first time the church is reading this going, wait, wait, what? Now it's recorded in the gospels and it's very interesting. But how many people in the church world really know what the Mount of Transfiguration was all about? If I said to you, hey, you know the Mount of Transfiguration? You'd be like, yeah, yeah. Why was it so important? Yeah, yeah, right? It was like Jesus like was like, Whoa! and like some prophet showed up or something. Like Moses was there. Like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it was like like the shepherds in, in Bethlehem maybe or something like that. What, what is this all about? Why is this important? What was the mountain? It makes you a little curious, doesn't it? 
It makes you want to dig in a little bit. And the fact that Peter said, I am going to build my validity on the fact of the Mount of Transfiguration, I kind of lean into that and go, this is worth reviewing again. And so I grabbed my scripture as I went to Matthew 17 and I look at the recording of it. Scripture says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Why did he only take Peter, James, and John? Well, because he liked them more, obviously. No, he had a mission, and he wanted to use them. Now, on the screen behind me, I threw up an image here of Mount Tabor, now, Mount Tabor is kind of interesting. It pokes up out of the valley like a, a little hump out of nowhere, like a dome out of nowhere. And many believe this is, in fact, the traditional view of where the Mount of Transfiguration happened. There are some that even believe, through, through some really scholarly research, that it could have occurred on Mount Hermon. See, this mount was around 2,000 feet high. Mount Hermon was around 10,000 feet. But you know what? It doesn't matter so much where it happened. It's that it happened. They were on a mount, and Jesus took these guys up, and he wanted to show them something. Matthew says, he was transfigured before them to take on another appearance and his face shone like the sun. I am not encouraging you to do this. But if you ever looked right at the sun, there was a couple years back, they were talking about this eclipse was gonna happen. I'm out there looking at it. Like, what am I doing? Like people were looking at it, you remember? Like, ah, don't do it. Kids, do not do it. Don't be like, Pastor Chris told me to. I did not. If you look at it, it's like, oh man, oh. some of you, some of you struggle keeping your testimony with sun glare after work, right? You're like, oh, I can't even see. Gets in your eyes. Jesus' face became like the sun. Imagine that. Oh my goodness, you closing your eyes. You got, maybe you still have circles. You ever, you ever get those circles? And, and his, that's the way his, his face shone. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. What? Moses? Peter, on the top of this mountain, you got to see Moses and Elijah? I mean, that'd be like, and Chris went up to this mountain, and Pastor Doug was like, woo, and like Abraham Lincoln showed up. <laughs> I mean, like Moses was a legend. I mean, Moses, he was the representation of the law. Moses, he's one of the greatest figures of the entire Old Testament. And next to him is one of the greatest prophets that's ever walked the face of the earth. He might even be, for my Revelation students, he looking at the two witnesses of Revelation. Moses and Elijah, in two people embodying the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. And Jesus standing in the middle of them. And Matthew says, they're talking with each other. I mean, pardon, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah just chatting it up for a little bit. What are they talking about? Yo, Moses, what's up? I don't know. They were probably going, look at the disciples. We really should say something. They are terrified. But there's Moses and Elijah. I know one day I'm going to talk to Moses. Because I'm a child of God and I'm going to heaven. Bible tells me so. And in glory, I'll get to meet some of them guys. 
And one of the questions I'm gonna have for Moses is, hey, what were you saying to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? They're talking with one another. And, Mo, and Peter, of course Peter said something, right? Lord, it is good that we're here. All right, Peter, you don't have to always talk, right? It's good that we're here. This is a good thing. And then he says, if you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's just stay here forever. Peter's done. And he was still speaking. Don't you love Peter's the guy always getting cut off? Do you have a friend like that? They talk and people are just like, yeah, so anyway, um, what we were saying, hey, hey, what? Peter gets cut off by Jesus a lot. Sometimes not that wonderfully, right? Get thee behind me, say. Well, here, a voice from heaven cuts him off. What? Oh, yeah. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Do you understand the whisper of God shakes the earth, let alone him talking? We love taking the teens to sight and sound, and they always love hearing the voice of God come over, and they'll repeat it on the bus ride home. You know, they'll be like, and then the Lord said, and everybody's like, ooh. The voice of God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And they were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched him saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says to him, don't tell anybody about this until after I'm resurrected. Ah, this is the thing you tell people about. I'm going to tell everybody, don't tell anybody about this. Oh, I ain't got to see. That, that was Mo. John, that was Moses, right? I don't know. I've never had a picture of him, but yeah, that's Moses. Don't tell anyone. But you know what's interesting? They get to the bottom of the mountain, and there's this demon possession going on, and the other disciples who are at the bottom of the mountain, they, they, can't, they can't seem to heal this one with this demon possession. And, and, and Jesus heals them, and they say, why weren't we able to? And, and Jesus says something interesting. He says this, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, that's the context of the mustard seed. If you have faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, it's impossible that he's standing beneath the mountain of transfiguration when he says that. Contextually, yes. You will say to this mountain, a lot of times in my life I thought, I ain't just speaking of any mountain. You'll say to the mountain that you just saw, Moses and Elijah, you will say to that mountain, move. From here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Young people, I don't care what adults say for a minute, okay? And I'm an adult, so just listen to me from Scripture. Jesus is looking for faith. He loves degrees. They're great. I encourage you to get a few. But Jesus is looking for faith. And you know what's interesting? He's looking for childlike faith. He's looking for people who take him at his word. He's looking for people who believe that there is nothing impossible with God. 
He's not hunting for churches full of people going, I know this is hard to believe, so we'll avoid this text. He's looking for people who believe him. And I can't believe I have to push that into the church as if that's something new. But it seems even more so, youngest generation in the room, hear me, even more so, hear this. Jesus is going to and fro throughout the earth, searching to show himself strong for those whose hearts are loyal to him. Sometimes all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. Do you believe his word? You live in a world that wants you to believe everything but his word. You live in a world that says his word is irrelevant. You live in a world that says his word is cruel. You live in a world that judges it and hasn't even read it. And on top of that, they've read it with a filter of, I refuse to accept this. Peter had a filter at the end of that mountain. And that filter was this. Jesus did it. I saw it. And that settles it. I don't need anything more than that. But look what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to it. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I have the original Greek word there, okay? And that word carries the idea of more sure. Every once in a while, we have a little bit of fun. I say, come into seminary with me for a minute. But the idea here is this is a comparative adjective put in the predicate position, which means simply this. You know what? is even bigger than that experience. You know what's more confirmed than that, even that experience? The word of God. It's more fully confirmed. What you have is more fully confirmed and you would do well. This is a line taken from the papyri, which in Koine Greek was a a, a common phrase to say, please do this, pay attention, please. You will do well to pay attention as to what? As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This world is currently a dark place. And wherever the word of God is, there's a light shining. So brother in Christ, I'm close with, he said, I was in Europe and we were at a soccer event and um, I was looking out a window and there was a, a guy going down the street lighting lamps along the road. And somebody said, what's he doing? And somebody said, he's, he's poking holes in the darkness. Do you like that? He's poking holes in the darkness. Child of God, do you know what you're called by Jesus? He says, you are the light of the world. Do you know what one of your responsibilities is? Poke holes in the darkness. <laughs> There's a neat image um, taken by NASA of, a, of the earth at night with its lights on. It's called earth lights. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. I showed that Pastor John. I said, oh, Canada's pretty dark. He said, come on. I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I look at that. I I just think it's so neat. And, And young people, this is why most television shows are dedicated to the Northeast. You can see there's a few people out here in the Northeast, probably far too many. Look at our area. 
Whoa, what a responsibility. And I I thought for a minute, just metaphorically, let's make those lights the body of Christ. This place will be a dark place after the rapture, wouldn't it? But the body of Christ is the light of the world. How much of a responsibility do we have to continue to poke holes in the darkness? Because the word of God is like a lamp shining in a dark place. And have you ever noticed the more dark a room gets, the brighter the light gets? Pay attention to the word of God because you can trust it. He continues, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. The Bible you have isn't just a collection of books that a bunch of guys got together and said this would be neat. It wouldn't have lasted this long if that were the case. He uses some words to help us understand that the prophecy given to us, the words of God were given to us, not by some interpretation, but carried along as if a sailboat being blown along by the wind of the Holy Spirit. These men took pen to paper, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote the words of God. This was not anything more than God giving us his word through human instruments. And just as those, there's different wind instruments, a trumpet, a baritone, you blow into it, it carries different characteristics. So did the authors. One author was a lawyer. Another author was a fisherman. Another author was a poet. They wrote in different genres at times. We have the wisdom genre of Ecclesiastes, Job, even Proverbs. We have narratives like Matthew, Luke, and John. But God breathed these through these human authors who penned his words to us that can be trusted. And you say, I do trust the word of God. I just get confused and I'm worried that that humans botched it up. Well, whenever humans are involved, things do get a little botched up at times, but we can trust the word of God because of the thoroughness in which it has been carried down. In fact, did you know that even the New Testament books went through a strict filter before they were allowed into what is now called the canon? Yeah, it had a filter. Now, now, sometimes when you're in class, okay, and, and I told you, I take you to class sometimes, you learn through acronyms, right? Well, A-E-I-O-U, and I'm not talking about Wheel of Fortune, is one of the ways that you can remember how they determined whether a book was canonical. Now, keep in mind, the moment it was written, it was scripture. It was up to those early church members who gathered in councils to say, can we verify that this is scripture? It was up to them to verify. They were not the ones who were making it canonical. They were discovering it. A, they asked, is this apostolic authority? Did one of the apostles write it? Or it's not getting through the filter? Another was, does it date back? Is it extending back to the time of the apostles? Another was, is this inspired by God? Is it without error? 
Does it line up with the other ones that are given by apostles? Oh, is this orthodox teaching? Or are there errors within this that are not accepted? And then finally, you, is there universal acceptance in the church for many of the books were being written? And over four councils thoroughly went through this. And you say, but Chris, I've heard there are errors. And make no mistake, there have been transcribal errors along the way. Those are discovered sometimes in what's called textual criticism. Textual criticism is a way of evaluating multiple manuscripts to determine what should get through the filter and be handed down through time. For example, if I came in here and said, this is the word of God, you can trust it, and I rip a page out of it and I hand it to you, I have messed with it. But here's what they did. They had multiple manuscripts. And so if I laid this down, I want you to picture 10,000 Bibles on the stage. I don't even think they'd last, right? I don't even think I could fit them up here. If 9,998 didn't have its pages ripped out, they said, okay, that probably wasn't have to have the page ripped out. That's probably not accurate. We're going with this many. That's the beauty of textual criticism and the comparison of multiple manuscripts. There is no other book in all of history that we have as many manuscripts to compare and find for validity. So yes, at times, there were some transcribal errors that they've worked diligently to work through, but your Bible can be trusted as the inerrant word of God. We say, well, why, why do churches fight so much sometimes? Like that church believes this, and then this church believes this, and then that church doesn't talk to that church. And a lot of that is pride, okay? But the main reason is something called filters. Really? Again? Yeah. And this is the filter of hermeneutics. It's a real big word that means interpretation of how you read scripture. If you come to this church, you're at a church that reads scripture contextually from a literal, historical, grammatical filter. It must come through that filter in the way we preach the word of God. Literal, we take God at his word. However, we understand there is a historical and grammatical aspect to it. You see, the word of God says, greet one another with a holy kiss. But we don't all come in here and smooch each other. Why? Because we understand there's a historical element. Now, it's sometimes handshaking. Now, there are certain times of the year where we kind of try to avoid that. We understand there's aspects to this. Grammatical. We think these words have specific meaning. One of the reasons this church baptizes by immersion is the word baptizo in its Latin form means to immerse underwater. That is a grammatical hermeneutic. And so the hermeneutic is what filters how we teach the scriptures here. I hear people sometimes say, oh man, where there's two or three gathered together, Jesus is here. And I think, oh no, Jesus isn't with me when I'm alone. What? That whole context, context of that passage is actually church discipline. And it's a reference to the fact that what is confirmed on earth is confirmed in heaven when the body of Christ is corporately gathered together. But Jesus is with me all the time. He gave me his Holy Spirit, and I can trust it. But if we're not careful with our interpretations within our context, we can walk into nursery rooms and it says, we will not all be the same, but we will be changed. And it's not talking about changing diapers. That's not what the verse is. That's cute and it's clever, but that's not what the verse is talking about. 
Well, the Bible talks about baseball. What do you mean? In the big inning. No, no, no. We're, we're messing with scripture a little bit. We're having fun, but we're messing with scripture. It's got to get through a filter. And unfortunately, churches sometimes, at their different hermeneutics, can be in very different parts. But what frustrates me sometimes is when we get judgmental one another, get mad at each other, because a lot of times we are going to be in heaven with somebody who might have a little bit of a different filter. There's people who go, yeah, Pastor Chris, I know that, but I know your filter, and that's not quite my filter. And we're going to spend all of eternity together. That's why Peter says, don't get all quarreling over some of this stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't matter. You're arguing actually about your filter. But as shepherds of this congregation, we believe this filter is the pathway how we plan to lead our church forward. Literal, historical, grammatical. And it's so important to have filters. It's the things we can hold on to. And have hope in when things get challenged and, and tend to shake our faith, especially when the road gets less traveled. You know, I learned something over the past two years. I used to think I have to be careful in how I evaluate the filter of the world. But sometimes even the body of Christ is another filter a leader sometimes has to think through when they're not all agreeing on a subject. I put up this image here. I got to be careful all the filters that come that I'm holding on to what God is showing me through his word and not someone's opinion for even in time periods we live in now. The body of Christ is not in full agreement on everything. Why? They have different filters. I refuse to believe that. I accept that no matter what. And so it's important for us to develop filters in young parents. Young parents, let me, let me just, let me show you some grace. When they're young, you're their filter. <laughs> okay, you go, this is what you're allowed to see. This is what you're not allowed to see. How did her mother say, I changed kind of our music stations in the car because our youngest yelled up from the front, hey mom, that's not true. She goes, what do you mean? He goes, everything doesn't get hotter when the sun goes down. It actually gets colder. Okay, we're going to change the channel. <laughs> because we're hearing things and we go, I don't know if they're ready for that. I don't know if they can handle that. And young parents, you know this. There's certain children who can watch the Wicked Witch from the West and go, awesome. And then there's other going, I'm never going to sleep. They're filter. We're protected of it. But then there's parents in here of teenagers, and when I talk about filters, you just cry at night, right? And we just cry. Because you know, you can't always control their filters. That's not the way it's gonna be. And this is one of the things my dad pressed really hard into me is teaching a child their filters, their discernment is so much more important than rules. And if you grew up in a real legalistic environment, a lot of times you're saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, someday they're gonna do it. Wouldn't you rather them learn under your tutelage wouldn't you rather them see the danger with you next to them versus alone when they're 20? And this is why so many times young people steer off. One, they weren't saved and their parents were forcing them to go to youth group. Don't get me on that one. But the second was the filters weren't in place. It was mom and dad's filter and mom and dad aren't there anymore. And so college student, you got to make a decision. Is that professor right about the Bible or do you not know what the Bible says? And calling dad isn't necessarily the option or calling mom because she's going to freak out that the teacher said that and you're leaving that school immediately. You've got to have your own filters. College student, what is your filter for watching movies? What is it? What is your filter? Like, well, mom and dad wouldn't watch this one with me. I watched it at school. I came home and I was watching my dad. I'm like, well, we better turn this one off. Because we haven't developed our own filters. 
businessman, businesswoman? Have you thought through filters on how you're going to practice integrity? Because along life's road, you're going to be challenged at any time. Hey, you just need to do this. Well, if you really want to be above board, what's your filter for your behavior? Is it time, can I say it? Is it time to maybe change your filter? Has it gotten a little dirty? And God's grace is coming along going, hey, it's time to clean that filter. My truth hasn't been getting in as good as it has been in the past. Because isn't it interesting when you tell the Holy Spirit no once, it gets a little easier the second time. And the scripture says you're literally grieving the Holy Spirit. He wants to pour truth into you and you're developing a dirty filter that's keeping you from doing that. We don't choose not to sin because sinning is wrong, although it is. We do it because we love our heavenly father and we want to walk in godliness and grow in him. Filters are discernment, and they're so much better than boycotts. They're so much better than never do that again because you can take information throughout your entire life and go, I'm sorry, that's not truth. So what is your filter when somebody tells you the Bible has lies in it? What's your filter when somebody tells you you can't trust that book? What's your filter when somebody says this is irrelevant? Because if you don't have those filters, you might be tempted along life's journey to believe them. And I'd be, I'd be not doing my job as a pastor if I weren't preaching about how much we can trust God's word, because if you don't have God's word, you know what you got? You got your apps. You're living off apps. And it's what that app said, or that app said, or that newspaper said, or that TV said. And I'm telling you, that's not that fun a way to live. I need something I can bank on. I need the truth. And I need a rope that won't let go as I struggle through life. You say, Chris, you gonna go get that rope every week? I'm gonna help you out. Yes. <laughs> through this series. We won't do it forever, I think. Let me pull this thing along. I'm a little knotted up, which scares me. This rope is gonna be that thing that anchors in. It's gonna be that thing that I hold on to. I can even tie to. You ever do this? Young people, you ever play tug of war? You get the back and you kind of hold on to her and you clamp it. I'm holding on to this. Here's some of the truths I hold on to. When someone tries to feed into me something about scripture, here's one, here's one. It's gotta get through this filter. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, for righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, some of the Bible, I'm not sure, you know, some of it's a little strange. I mean, really, a guy got swallowed by a whale? Y'all love Pastor Gabe. He's singing up here. He's funny. He said in our meeting, our pastors get together. He goes, look, I believe whatever scripture says, I trust it. If the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale, I'm in. Okay, I love it. I love that kind of faith. I love that kind of faith. Oh, it's all scriptures. Gabriel, hold on to that. It's got to get through that filter. I looked up the word all in the original language in Greek. You know what it means? It means all. <laughs> I don't mean to be sarcastic. But it's not some. Where is your faith? If you come to a church and I go, hey guys, some of scripture is God breathed, then who becomes the judge of scripture? My ability, my filter of whether I can believe it or not. That's scary. That scares me. 
because there are some things I have to take with just a mustard seed of faith. Here's the second one. God's word is perfect. And the words of the Lord are flawless. They're like silver refined in a furnace of clay purified seven times. Chris, hang on. I'm hanging on to that one. You know, you can't trust that Bible. Oh, that's not what the word of God says to me. I'm hanging on. And you know our rope. If you ever been to a ski lift with a rope pull, it's pulling me. It's pulling me forward. Even when I'm struggling, if I could just hold on to that, God's promises are pure. Here's a third one. It's got to pass through this filter. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word can pierce any filter. Don't give up, dad. Don't give up, mom. Don't give up, grandma. Don't give up, young person on dad. Don't give up, young little girl on dad. Don't give up on him. He might be upset and he might say church is stupid and those pastors are just this or that. Don't give up. He's probably just been hurt. Probably very validity been hurt. Very valid way been hurt. But God's word can poke through any filter. Scripture tells me it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. You keep praying because that filters up now. But one day, the word of God may poke through it. I don't give up because I know I can trust the word and I hold on to that. And keep in mind, we live in a day and age where people say, I don't know if I can believe a Bible that says this, or I don't know if I can do that. And they make themselves the judge of the word of God. No, no, no. Scripture says, before you were even born, a lot of this was written, right? Especially us in the 21st century. It pierces the joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts. The Bible is up here and judges you. You're not the judge of the Bible. You don't get to look through it. Who are you, O oh man, to question God, it says in Job. Scripture says in Psalm 138 too, you have exalted your word above your own name. And God's word can be trusted. This is my fourth filter for no prophecy. It's our message today was ever produced by the will of men but men spoke from God as they were carried on by the Holy Spirit. I lock into that promise. I'm not reading a bunch of cleverly devised myths. The word of God tells me I can hold on to that. And then one of my favorite passages in scripture, because it lets you in on Peter's life, says this. It's got to come through this filter if you tell me my Bible's not true. Jesus said to the 12, a bunch of people were leaving. You're going to see that in your own faith. You're gonna see people walk away at times and maybe they never knew Christ. And Jesus turns to the guys and he says, do you wanna to leave too? And Peter speaks up and says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter goes, you know what? What do you want me to do? Listen to somebody else? I'm staying with you. You got the words of life. And Jesus pulled him along throughout his life because he clamped onto the promises of God. This week, I want you to think through your filter. Maybe you're being a little hard on somebody. And maybe it gives you a little grace to say, maybe they just see things a little bit differently than me. But I want you to think through your filters when you're reviewing any of these kinds of things. This said it. 
Can I believe it? Where does scripture settle it? And take the scripture and use it as your filter. You say, Chris, I want to do that. I was thinking that, I was thinking that, but that's a little abstract for me. Okay, so let me help you with this. I'll give you one verse. I'll give you one verse to memorize that can serve as a filter for your entire life through what movies you watch, for what articles you post, for how you check your resources before posting it, through what someone's saying, through whether you can define yourself by Instagram. You can apply this filter. You ready? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. Is this conversation commendable? Is what I'm thinking about lovely? Is the website I just clicked on pure? Is the way I'm treating this person fair? Is the way I'm speaking and texting and talking honorable? Am I focused on what is true or is it possibly false? Memorizing that verse gives you a filter for any information, whether it's a good source or even a negative source. And you can check it through the filter of God's word. Can I trust it? Peter says, oh, you can trust it. It is more sure than even the Mount of Transfiguration. Isn't it good that we can come to a place that loves the word of God? Amen? Folks, without it, without the word of God, and this is a pastor talking, I'm just a talking head. I hope I can be an instrument for all of us to hear the words of God. That's the prayer of all your pastoral staff, that this will be a place where you can come to hear some truth, even if you argue with our interpretation from sometimes. No, it's a filter that we believe God's called us to. Heavenly Father, use this text to remind us of your faithfulness to us. Lord, it's a little stunning that in a church we, we have to preach how true and trustworthy your Bible can be, but, but with even in Christian walls, there's those who are challenging this truth, and, and what do we have to stand on without it? What do we have to lean into without it? We just have multiple opinions and power moves and division and discouragement. And Lord, when the road gets tough, I need something I can hang on to. Thank you for giving me your truth that I can hang on to. And that same truth says you love me so much you sent your only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And in that same truth it says confess with your heart, with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's Lord. And you've locked in and that rope will pull you to heaven. Hold on. Lord, I pray for anybody in here facing a difficult season in life that they would allow this circumstance to be filtered through the word of God and they might see you 
being living and active through it. And if anybody has put up a filter and they know it's a little dirty, they've been hurt. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would come to their life and I pray that they would allow the truth of God to filter in again. Lord, the church is imperfect and sometimes people do get hurt. Lord, I pray that you would penetrate that hurt heart with your truth and that might carry them along through life. Lord, we pray these things knowing you're good, knowing you're faithful, and knowing we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.